Hey, hi everyone. <laughs> it is uh, the 30th of December. 2020. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, I mentioned it's the 30th of December 2022, and this is episode, I think, 143. You're doing well. Um, thanks for joining. We normally, don't do these on a Friday, we normally do these on a Thursday, uh, but I had been sick all week most of the week before it, honestly, uh, or at least a portion of it. And my voice just, this is the best my voice has been in a while. So I thought I'd give it a try. I did MK this morning without too much issue. I've got my uh, ginger tea, like a complete fucking geriatric piece of trash with all the honey in it you're supposed to do to help your voice. It does help. So I'm going to try and gut through this as best I can. Uh, normally we go for an hour on free questions and then we get to paid. I don't really know how today's going to go because we've moved it and people are on vacation anyway, or they've got holidays or it's a whole thing. So I don't really know how this is going to do, but maybe we do 45 of free questions today and then maybe we do the rest paid if there are any of any significant number. So if not, no worries. Uh, thumbs up on the video. Please hit subscribe. Thank you so much for joining me again. Apologies for all the delay. Well, I will tell you folks, that was a bad one. That was a bad one. Um, wasn't COVID, wasn't flu, probably RSV. Um, for some reason, they didn't test my wife for it. I don't really know why, but it seems like in all likelihood, that's what it is. Got it from my kid who brought it home from school. Anybody who's had kids three years or younger, four years or younger, probably understands that they are diseased little creatures. I mean, I love my daughter probably more than I've ever loved anything in my life, but she carries germs like like it's a contest like it's a contest um sometimes i get sick from traveling it does happen if you go to vegas bro i mean every time you go to vegas for like a big fight weekend you know you're gonna get something period like it just that's how it is now but uh day to day or week to week dude you got kids man they tear it they tear you up so um yeah it's been a nightmare it was the worst christmas i've ever had dude all of us were just miserable abuela was here miserable my daughter was sick my wife is still down for the count. She's been sick longer and worse than me. This was a bad one. I don't think RSV affects everyone this way, but oof, it got us good. It got us real good. So um, thanks for your understanding. Thanks for your patience. Sorry for the delays and everything else, but um, that's really the honest to God truth. I got wrecked, super wrecked, super, super wrecked, man. We had all these plans for Christmas about stuff we were going to do. We ended up doing none of them. Uh, oh, we did do we did do one of them um, the first day before any of us was really sick, but even by that day, people were kind of messed up. And then, oh god, it was a nightmare, man! It was a nightmare. We really so it's been terrible. So let me say one thing: this is the last live chat we'll do um, this year, and uh, I, I will tell you that I'm as grateful for the live chat as I think I've ever been. Othello has done a great job of getting the clips out there on TikTok. You can find us. Um, Instagram, he cleaned up my Instagram page a lot and has begun to post stuff there more steadily and um, other places as well, YouTube. But uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have the back and forth and to be put on my heels as often as I am by you guys and and gals. And uh, it's just one of the most fun things that I do. I look forward to it just about every week. Um, and I have been doing it for 10 years. I'm very grateful and lucky to be in this position. I don't have super grand designs on the podcast, but I do feel like um, it was one of the first ones to do it in, in this medium and the way that we're doing it. And it has stuck around for a while. I don't think totally by accident. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you for sticking around. Thank you. If you enjoy it, great. If, if, you, if you don't and you at least tried it, I appreciate that as well. Um, just thanks for being a part of it. All right. Enough. With all that nonsense, um, let's get this party started, shall we? Okay. Whew. Okay. So, you guys put up the questions. I put up our community thread. You fill them up. You vote on which ones go to the top. I will try to react to those, yeah? All right. Let's do this one. There we are. All right, Luke. Uh, 
I find that MMA media's true form is often represented when they engage with Dana White through their access journalism style question, which for the most part comes across as easy layups to promote an event while staying on Dana's good side, as opposed to asking anything of note, okay? A, if you attended a Dana White scrum and presser, what three pertinent questions would you ask Dana and why? B, have any of your colleagues in the MMA media space expressed to you their own views on capitulating to Dana White uh, slash access journalism? Yeah, sure. Less so about Dana than you might imagine, but more about just sort of UFC or um, some PR person, which, by the way, is not exclusive to UFC. Um, but yeah, for sure, I have had plenty of them bemoan the state of things. Uh, asking the first question, it's like if I were to actually get an opportunity to speak with Dana in a way where we could, people always think there's like there's three slam dunk questions out there you could ask him about anything and he would have to answer. I tend to think about just what's current. Number one, I would ask, um, does the slap league prove that move um, a boxing? Uh, how should I say this exactly? Is the is the slap league proof that Zufa boxing is something of a failure? Is one, uh, and you could word that a little more nicely, but still, I think two. Uh, previously, you have been asked about um, your fighters' affiliations with Ramzan Kadyrov. Your own organization gave a gave a comment to the New York Times saying that you did not have any ties with him. But just curiously. Why do you think so many fighters take money from him, promote themselves through him, and not just the Chechen ones, American ones, or otherwise those who are selected? Why Why do you think it's happening in your sport and it's not happening in any of the others? And three, um, how big is the Ali Act a threat to the... Uh, mm, give me your best... I would have follow-ups after this, but to set it up, I might say, give me your best argument as to why the Ali Act is not a good idea. And I know what he would say. He would say, like, well, it's going to turn it into boxing, and do you like boxing? I have to tell you, I don't hate boxing's architecture nearly as much as everyone else. Can I make just one offhand comment on the Ali Act? One, I hear this question a lot about the Ali Act, and it's like, is it really going to make the sport better? Right? Is you going to turn MMA and make it a better thing than it is now? And the question is always, Better for who? Better for who? Um, do I think the Ali Act will necessarily make MMA a better MMA experience? There are definitely some fights that would happen that you would not get by virtue of people being tied up in promotional deals. But, you know, if it is like boxing, you can also imagine a lot of fights that need to get made don't get made on time or whatever. So... Uh, in that sense, it doesn't offer any clarifying vision about why it's a good idea. You you do it because it's better for the fighters, right? Not because it's better for the consumer or that it's better for the promoter. Now, the fighters may or may not accept this is true because they, I, they strangely have a lot of very bad ideas about what care for their own group means. But that aside... Um, Whenever the question gets asked about like what would it do to the sport, would it make it better? Make it better for who? And I will tell you, when you watch boxing, you are hardly watching anything ethical. I mean, you know, the amount of corruption and sleaze bags in that industry is boundless. But you do have an industry that takes fighter protections more seriously. Yeah, you do. Um, I think that says something about the product in the end. Personal opinion. All right. Next one, Luke, if PED usage was allowed in an MMA promotion, what would be an ideal structure or system look like? Dog, you basically already got that now. Uh, what would you do with the competitors who didn't want to alter their endocrine system versus the ones who chose to? Would you keep separation or rather would you? what would your idea of MMA look like where PEDs were allowed? Morning combat smokes the rest, blah, blah. Thank you very much. Boy, this is not a hard question to answer at all. Um. You do what ADCC does. You do what Pride did. You don't actively tell them to use it or say, hey, if you're a user, come on over. But you just don't test for it and you don't make it a priority at all so everyone knows what the score is. I mean, if you're a fighter, like, why would you sign in that organization unless you knew what time it was, right? And at that point, you know, 
if there are other this is the whole point it's like how can you do this in other sports it's because of the structure of the sports in jiu-jitsu they have various tournaments some are run by the same organization some are run by competing organizations and there's all kinds of ones in between they don't have a, a, a formal designation in that way but you can pick and choose you can choose to enter which ones you want to enter basically on any given tournament on any given year and so the tournaments can then structure themselves to be different than the other ones and what they want. Um, powerlifting can work in that way as well. Now, if you if you compete in a non-tested federation, there are rules about how you could ever compete in a, in a tested one after the fact. But while you're competing in those, it segregates you out. That doesn't necessarily remove drugs from sport. In fact, of course it doesn't. But how do you do this? This is very easy. You offer people choices. You offer them alternatives. Um would you keep separation rather? What would your idea of like where PEDs are allowed? Yeah. Like if you don't want to do that to your system, fine. And if you don't want to compete against those guys, fine. Um, but there can be a space. The, the whole argument is not about what you're going to do to everyone. The argument is, which the other side wants to make it that way. The argument is, are you going to give choice to the people who do consent? They, they are adults. And they do want to put these in their system and they don't mind fighting that way. And also, I would just point out that like every time a fighter leaves UFC under USADA and goes to another organization that has like, you know, the, the most lax drug testing imaginable, the arguments are always the same. Oh, it doesn't matter that they're on that. I'm going to compete anyway. Well, then what was all that noise beforehand about? Hmm? What was all that about? Like it's one or the other. Either this is so bad and so dangerous you could never fathom doing it without protections, or it's not. And I will tell you that if you just look at the vast majority of MMA fights, professional, amateur, regional, UFC, whatever, just the totality of them, all of them, there's your favorite word, everyone. The, the, the entire sum of all fights that happen, the vast majority happen without any significant um, uh, performance enhancing drug testing whatsoever, the, the aggregate number. You're already watching a sport awash in drugs. We're already there. Um, and so you would just be offering them choice. So this is this is very easy to figure out. All right. Uh, not a question, but with the death of Stefan Bonner, I think we all need to take some time to look back on the two sides of the sport. Two men who stayed the UFC with one fight and gave their all to the sport. One also become a champion and a legend who has a role spelled wrong in the UFC <clears throat> after retirement. Give me a second. And the other one who became a journeyman, then went into addiction troubles, maybe CTE-related, who knows, and then died so young. Seems like a great opportunity to talk about the greatness that can be achieved and the cost that can be paid, pays well wrong, of a journeyman tracing, chasing the dream. So it's a long a way of saying why fighter pay and fighter rights is so important for the ones who don't quite get there. I mean, we've had that argument a million times, but let's, um, let's do this. Let's look at Bonner's resume real quick here, if we can. I remember him fighting. Uh, I interacted with Bonner a few times privately. At one time, he I remember, he had, do you remember when he was on the, some of you might not, but he was on the set of uh, Spike TV's MMA Uncensored Live. And uh, we had him as a guest and he had a shirt on that said bones in the middle and then it had the two crossbones and it was an ode to uh, John Jones. Um, you tell me how much John, how strong John was at the time, but also he was, um, I'll never forget, this is when Hector Lombard, I think had just signed to fight, fight Tim Boach, something like that. He had just been, uh, recruited over from Bellator, and I think he was making like some crazy sum of money. I don't remember what it was at the time, anyway. And uh, he was like, "How do I get my hands on that kind of money?" Man. Uh, all right. So is this it? Yeah, it is. Okay. So let me pull this back up here. So here's his resume down here. Uh, Brian Ebersol, who fought in the UFC later at much lower weight class, hilarious guy, the initiator of the Hero. Uh, Josh Kruger, Jay Macy, don't know anything about them. Terry Martin fought in UFC for a while. He had a he had a, a vicious knockout loss to Chris Lieben, but he was handing out some L's himself. The Leota Machida fight in Jungle Fight, I believe it was just a cut that stopped him. Leota was winning it, but you get the idea. And then he went back to the regional team, beat some guys I don't really remember. Then had the fourth Griffin fight, which was crazy, right? That was the ultimate fighter. Then he beat Sam Hoger which was not a great win, but the James Irvin win was really nice. The Keith Jardine fight was crazy. Jardine hit him in the head super hard with a head kick, and you see Stefan Bonner go, mm-mm. Fucking balls out moment. 
Rashad beat him. I don't remember much about the details. Then he rematched Forrest. Monitor tested positive for steroids at the time. I mean, the guy had been using probably for, for a long time, candidly. <coughs> um, the difference in the first and second Forrest fights, Forrest was just a much cleaner fighter. You know, he really worked on his technique and he, he put distance between himself and Bonner um, in ways that he just wasn't really able to do in the first fight. You could tell, like, since their first fight, they were obviously pretty close. In the time it took to rematch, Forrest had made much more progress. Uh, getting back to the uh, record, Mike Nichols, I remember this one briefly. Eric Schaefer, you know, y'all may not remember him. Eric Red Schaefer was a good fighter. That's a solid win here. Then he loses to John Jones. I mean, what are you going to do? It's a fucking buzzsaw. Mark Coleman had a bit of a resurgence around this time. I think he just out-wrestled him. Christoph Soshinsky, uh, who is one of the most badass-looking motherfuckers of all time, um, I guess this is what the headbutt. I don't remember the details of this. Then they rematched, and he, and he punched out Sochinsky's lights. Then he beat Igor Prokayak, who was good for a time. Kyle Kingsbury, who was good for a time. Then he lost the Anderson Silva fight, which we all remember quite well. And then the Tito Ortiz fight kind of came to it. I mean, he, you know, calling him a journeyman is not really correct. He was fighting big names and um, respectable talent, I think, at the time they were. Dude, I mean, in 2010, Sochinsky... Soshinsky was not like the top of the division, but he was well respected and he had some good wins himself. I keep saying Shosinski. Soshinsky, excuse me. Uh, he beat Brian Stan. He beat Stefan Bonner. He beat Goran Reljich. And where the Bonner one is the disputed one. Um, yeah, dude, he had some good wins along the way. Fought in IFL. Anyway, uh, I don't think Journeyman is correct, but I mean, the, the, the broader point here, just sort of reviewing his record. Is um, you know, I mean, is it if it's supposed to be true that this guy and his fight with Forrest is so transformative, the UFC wouldn't exist but for him. Um, he should have died rich, right? Should have. I don't know the very particulars of his circumstance. He does appear to be quite. Or obviously, he's deceased now, but he did appear to be quite troubled. Um, you heard Sean Strickland talking about his addiction to opioids. Do any of you guys remember the footage of him, either this year or last, um, getting pulled over for drunk driving in Las Vegas? And then they used the chest cam footage. You know, Bonner was like like falling out of the car and was barely awake. And I don't mean to besmirch a man who was passed, but rather to say he, he must have. And I know he had the incident with the fire at his home. Um, I don't know how many of these things can be traced back to his own poor decisions versus any other factors that may have contributed. But he died, I think, with at least the last chapter of his life being very, very troubled. And it's probably a guy that should never have happened to. And again, how much did he be own, his own architect for these problems? Because just because you fought this way doesn't mean that, you know, you had to go out in one particular way or the other. But you know, Ben Askren was talking about how it's like really a shitty career. It's hard to get going. It's hard to make money. Very few people do. You know, it's run by shady people, the sport in general. Um, you're going to get an enormous amount of injuries. You're going to come out broken. You know, the, I think it's fair to say the fan base at times can certainly be toxic. Um, or it could be a toxic atmosphere anyway. Um, you know, you're at a massive disadvantage with the, with the promoter in terms of leveraging for contracts. Like it's just not a great career. And I've talked about it too, like, you know, to what extent did CTE play a role? I, who knows, right? Um, but I said it before, like, these guys come out of these careers, man. Like, dude, this guy had um, 24 pro fights, right? 24 pro fights that we know of. Dude, that's a lot of fighting. You know, you see guys with like 40, 50 fights. That's just an astronomical amount of damage. You know, car crash after car crash after car crash. And what that does to your psyche, what that does to your um, physical health, what that does to your emotional health, what that does for your work options afterwards. Um, it's just, you know, and, and the industry pulls you in and you're very famous and everyone wants to talk to you. And the minute you're out, you're no longer relevant at all. There's no like real transition period whatsoever. Like it's a very, very strange industry and strange business to want to be involved in when you do well you do really well but like 
here's a guy who ostensibly is, you know, I, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm not questioning it, but I mean is people repeat this everywhere. And he is uh, putatively one of the most important figures in the UFC stabilization of the ultimate fighter. And he he died early. He died probably tragically. I don't know what the circumstances are, but I'm going to guess it wasn't awesome. And he died in a way where the last chapter of his life was tormented and difficult. And it should have never gone that way. should have never gone that way. Um, last thing I'll say on the Ultimate Fighter, by the way, is if you look up the ratings for season one, they went up over time. You'll recall the UFC, this is a famous story, the UFC slot on Spike TV in season one came right after WWE with Raw, Monday Night Raw, something like that. Um, it came after, like, essentially premiere or marquee WWE programming, and then it would lead into it. So they had a great lead-in, but the audience built over time. If you look at season two ratings, the finales were both good numbers. The finale of season one was good. The finale of season two was good. But the numbers for season two went down over time. I bring this up to say the last episode, everyone goes home and then there's this live finale. That episode before the finale did, I think, a 1.8 or a 1.9, something like that. And then the finale itself did nearly a 2, which for Spike TV in the demo at the time was great. Like, really good. Um, they killed it. So, yes, I mean, the fight, in all actuality, played a very significant role. You know, they got these great ratings, they went up over time, and then they had this real punctuated moment. My feeling is that they probably would have had a second season no matter what, based on all the other factors that had gone well for them. Um, I just think that the Stefan Bonner and Forrest Griffin fight was so overwhelmingly positive and such a moment of true early stage virality that it really put it over the edge. But there was, I'm pointing out that like there was a lot of wind at the UFC's back despite all of the difficulties they may have faced with other networks or the fact that they had to put the bill for the show. In terms of the ratings and other factors, a lot of things were working well for them that contributed to um, the ultimate success. All right. Let's see what you got here. Look, who do you see being able to replicate some of the success Jan had against Ankalaev in regards to leg kicking? Nobody at 205 seems to have those kinds of tools, with the exception, I was going to say, yeah, of Alexander Rakic. Yeah, exactly. How do you potentially see Rakic and Megamed matching up, assuming Rakic returns healthy? But it just becomes a question of the takedown again. You're right, Rakic is a very physically imposing and active, accurate, really devastating leg kicker. Totally agree. Um, it would just be a function of the takedowns and then closing the distance, really. The difference is, I think Jan's defense, um, defensive striking, evasion, and when to go and when to exit is a little bit better. I think he's less vulnerable when he throws relative to racket. So I could change the equation. But either the takedowns or moving into position with punches, overwhelming racket, which can be done with a very, you know, very high-level guy. Um, those would be the two ways I would say they would be countered. But you're right. There's not a lot of guys who can do that. Um, someone asked, like, if the Ali Act was passed, how would the sanctioning bodies get involved? Would the existing ones extend authority or would there be new ones that would be created? I think both, both, which would make it a bit of a mess early on, but um, probably both. All right, let's get to this one. Here we are. Mm. Luke, can you talk about how up-and-coming fighters end up signing contracts with one promotion or another? Is there a scouting department in all major organizations? that looks for talent in regional leagues and then offers them deals. Sometimes, yes. Or do fighters and their managers proactively send their resumes in hopes of a contract? Somewhat that, yes. UFC seems to get a majority of top talent, even though based on reported payouts, it seems like there's not a huge difference in terms of earning potential for most fighters. That can be somewhat true. If anything, there's probably an easier road to the top of divisions, more money outside of the UFC. For the right kind of guy, that's true. Um, it can happen a lot of ways. Um, matchmakers are often asked to serve as scouts. Matchmakers will have guys in their teams who act as scouts. Um, that's one method. Another method is, um, you know, sometimes guys make noise in the regional scene and uh, 
you know, it's hard to avoid. But yes, they'll have existing deals with managers. The managers will be like, hey, I got this 7-0 and welterweight out of blah, blah, blah. He could fill it on short notice or you should pay attention to the contender series or you know, whatever the case may be. Like a lot of the reasons why um, AKA guys often, not totally, there's plenty of AKA guys who are in UFC, but AKA has a good relationship with Scott Coker and Bellator. So you end up seeing a lot of those guys um, represented on some level in, in that organization as well. That's a part of it. Sometimes you can cold call your way in. I've seen guys go viral having a thing, but typically the best two best ways are there is some measure of in-house scouting that goes on through the matchmaking team and or managers talking to the matchmaking team being like, hey, I've got this guy, I've got that guy, you know. Um, I honestly think that part of the reason Fight Pass has invested in you know, all these other smaller organizations that they put on, like Icon and everything else, is that they want not only just to have sort of like, hey, if they've got a good prospect, we want first access to them, but also like let's just bring in the regional scene as in-house as we can to make filtering what matters a little bit easier. There's a question about Ilya Taporia um, asking about Avloev. Uh, Do you think it's a tough matchup for him? Yes. In a five-rounder, yes. I said this on the live chat before. Ilya Taporia is just an unbelievable talent, but I don't know if the way in which he manages resources scales for 25 minutes. And that could be a problem as he gets to the higher end of the division. We'll have to see. Evloev, or again, I know I'm not saying that name probably as correctly as I can be. Uh, Evlov, I'm not sure. But he's also very defensively sound. Very def- defensively sound. Like, of the two, who's going to burn the gas tank first, right? It's going to be, it's going to be Taporia. And he's hard to hit, and he's hard to take down, and he's hard to hurt. That means you need to have maximum energy late. Um, that could prove to be a difficult guy. But, like, who's a much more like, offensively dynamic talent? Taporia. Taporia. All right, interesting question here. good lord all right let's go to this one uh look hope you and the family stay happy and healthy my question for you is yeah healthy i don't know but sean o'malley patty pimblett and hamza shumaya ended up in their 2020 with uniquely controversial fights okay right they did what would you prefer to see next for each guy? And what do you think will actually happen? For O'Malley, fight someone in the top three. Um, and then just continue development. I think he's really on a great path. And um, he's got time to get really, really, really good. Let's see if he can do it. Patty Pimblett, I think that, you know, we'll have to see. Uh, he got the win. I think you move him up the ladder as much as the wind necessitates that you do and see what happens to him. I honestly mean that. He might win, he might not, but like, you know, he's too far along in his career to continuously give. Um, Jared Gordon was the exception to this, but like, you know, by UFC standards, easy fights. I don't, I didn't mind them at first. I think I think they're fine, but I think their usefulness is worn out, you know. It's time to do like you beat Jared Gordon. Whether you or I agree, he did move him up. See what happens. And uh, I was at Shemaev. He's got to get his weight class sorted. Really got to get his weight class sorted. I would like to see him fight for a title. Um, and I would like to see him manage his resources more effectively as well. He's got a ton of them. He doesn't necessarily use them all that all that well um, all the time. Mike's cutting in and out a little bit. Oh, you know what? That's probably from me touching it. Let me just keep my hands off of it. Okay. Uh, let's see. The question's about Taporia. I'm going to skip that. How about this one? Luke, has there ever been a more glaring example of the tolls MMA can take on someone than Michael Bisping? Great question. Recently on this podcast, he talked about having to have yet another surgery, this time to se- uh, sever a nerve in his back to avoid constant pain. 
due to what he has been told is a minor fracture in his spine, which will then adversely alter the amount of physical exercise he can undertake. This is on top of the infamous loss of an eye, two knee replacements, and a recent neck surgery. He has spoken about how his fear of his quality of life will be affected in old age, seeing as he's still dealing with these injuries almost six years after the injury. Wow, man. You know, all gave some and some gave all, man. That is, that's a lot. Um, I just referenced it. I just referenced it. These guys, I, I've seen it. I've seen the waves come through. 15-year career, 15-year career, 10, 20 years, whatever. Like the amount of time in there, like the maximum amount of time you could ever do in there, you know, and, and do anything. And still walk out on your own two feet, right? They come out of this career broken, broken. And in some cases, irreversibly broken. And I know it's fun. Listen, Michael Bisping had a fantastic career. Like a great career, a pioneering career in many ways, you know. Um, and I think at the time, and maybe he still believes this, I, I couldn't speak for him. You know, it was worth those sacrifices to get to what he got, right? Um, only he knows the answer to that. But what I would say is I caution everyone about this. And Mike and I are roughly the same age. It is impossible to tell a 22-year-old guy you have to think about what your life is going to be like at 42. It's impossible. They've only ever lived 22 years. They can't fathom another 20. I mean, they can, you know, like on a very basic level, they can kind of noodle it, but they don't fully embrace what that means. Like you're going to have to live in the body that you maintain um, at age 42. So what are you going to do in the intervening time? How are you going to treat your body? And there's no way to do that career at a high level the way that these guys do it, Michael Bisping, you know, certainly is a great example of this. Both on the success end, but also the damage end, right? Like you're gonna come out of this looking like you've been in seven or eight car wrecks. I mean, this is an astronomical amount of damage. I don't have even a fraction of this, and even I have concerns about like how ambulatory am I gonna be? To say nothing of the brain trauma or anything else. How ambulatory am I going to be? How arthritic am I going to be? Um, how often am I going to have? I don't have to worry about going under the knife so much. But you get the idea. You have to, as a 22-year-old man, it's hard for me to tell you, you need to think about maintaining your body, not in some like general notion of health. You're going to have to live in this meat suit at a time in your life that will happen, unless obviously some terrible event happens. You're going to get here. A day is going, I look, I've looked at the mirror, I'm like, a day has arrived where it's been like 20 plus years since I graduated high school. You're going to have to live in the body you create, and the financial system, financial comfortability you create, the, the familial structures, you, you're going to have to live in that. You're going to have to, you're going to have to make a day of it every single day. And, you know, it's very easy when you're 21, 22, 25 to be like, no guts, no glory. I, I give everything to have that glory. And you do, and again, I'm not speaking here for Michael. I mean, he, he, he might feel the trade is worth it. I have no idea. But what I can tell you is, um, I think a lot of the people who are like, yeah, no guts, no glory, especially the ones who aren't as successful as Mike, I think they have a lot of regrets. A lot of regrets. That's what I'm saying too, man. Like, oh, you know, jujitsu is great for you. It can be great for a lot of people. And in certain ways, it can be great for a lot of different kinds of people. But, dude, if you're an accountant, you don't need to be getting your knees shredded at a Naga tournament, you know, at age 28. So that by the time you're 42, you're, you were never going to go pro in this, nothing. And now you've completely destroyed, you know, both knees, both ankles, your back, your neck. Like, I've seen these hobbyists who train who have no hope of ever going pro, and they fuck themselves up. Neck issues. 42 years old having to get hip replacements. You know, that kind of shit. For what, dude? <laughs> like, if you're Michael Bisping, at least you were champion of the world, you know? Like a British pioneer for UFC. Okay, that's that's one set of trade-offs you have to think about. But, like, you're just an accountant, and now you have to, not with the same level of injuries, but now you've got a fucked up neck 
and back and knees, like this was a good idea for you. Very, very easy, very easy to be 25 years old and thump your chest about your invincibility. How you, oh, that was everyone else's problem. Nah, fella, it's going to be yours too. The big realization um, that I've had at this stage of my life is that like, it is true that a positive attitude and a clear commitment to a goal and not giving up will get you more results than just kind of being, you know, it's a, it's a very useful way to goal achieve. But the big realization I've had at this stage of my life is that there are so many factors beyond your control that are going to happen to you. And um, there are so many things you're wrong about in your youth that are going to cause problems for you later. It's just, it's, it's going to happen. It happens to everybody. Um, so, you know, Michael Bisping's sacrifice is unique, even in this sport. Is very unique, but the number of guys who leave this shit hobbled, I think, is a serious problem. Serious problem. Um, let's lighten the mood here. Look, what was your movie of the year? Did you happen to see The Northman? Yes, I did. That would be my choice. Um, I did like it in the end. We talked about it on the show and how I thought it, I misunderstood a little bit of it, and then thinking about it again, I really enjoyed. It. I, I it was beautifully shot, no matter what. Classic revenge story set in the early Viking age, sort of. Um, you know what? I didn't see a lot of great movies this year. I didn't see hardly any new movies this year. The best movie I saw was a movie from the 50s, Akira, or maybe 60s. Akira Kurosawa's High and Low. Um, let me pull up a list here. Let's see. Best movies. Let's see. Let's take a look at these. I mean, it's Rotten Tomatoes, so, you know, take it for what it's worth. But just as a frame of reference, let's see. All right, let's do this. All right. Uh, no Bears, didn't see it happening, nope. Marcel, the show with shoes on, nope. Girl picture, nope. I did hear that this movie, The Banshees of Insurin, I think it's how you say it, it's really good. Till, nope. Quiet Girl, nope. This movie, nope. To Leslie, nope. Uh, oh, I did see this one. The new uh, uh, Del Toro Pinocchio movie. Excellent. Really good. Really good. The Duke, no. Hellbender, no. Beavis and Butthead, Universe, no. Uh, Top Gun Maverick, I saw. Really fun. I look here. Innocence, I saw, which is, this is really good. Freaky, but really good. Uh, Neptune, Sissy, da-da-da. Um, everything everywhere all at once started it didn't finish so far so good turning red is great put some boots I saw this with my kid um, trust me here Mormon King didn't see it X nope Emily nope living nope Fire Island nope Enola Holmes er or all whatever it is nope last time I didn't, haven't seen it yet Prey I did see that was pretty decent pretty decent hustle uh, saw it it's okay okay uh, let's see. Vortex, Fallout, Pink Cloud, Lost Illusions, You Resemble Me. Everything went fine. Barbarian, I saw, loved it. Loved it. Really fun movie. Um, let's see. Piggy, God's Creatures, Catch the Fair One, The Righteous, Close, Emergency, Pearl, Apollo 10, Nope, Quiet in the Western Front, Nope, Mad God, Nope, uh, Something in the Dirt, Nope, Deadstream, uh, Stranger, Nope. I've heard this movie, Tar, however you say it. I've heard it's really good. I've not seen it. Um, Broker, what Josh saw. And Northman, I saw. In the end, I really liked it. Menu, I've not seen. That's it. So, most of these movies I've not seen. I did not have a great movie going year in that sense. Oh, man. All right, let's see here. Um, here's an interesting one. <clears throat> Luke, wondering what you think of the phenomenon of there being multiple 1A and 1B situations in UFC. For example, Vulcan Holloway, Izzy and Rob Moreno and Biggie. It seems the UFC is having to book trilogies. This is common. This happens all the time. 
for a while there was GSP and Fitch uh, or GSP and Koscheck sort of, you know, you're mentioning like one, there's, there's always these transcendent figures and then always someone really good who beats most of the rest of the guys. Um, famous one, Anderson Silva and Rich Franklin. In fact, it kind of became the Rich Franklin scenario. Once Jose Aldo came around, you're right. You know, he eventually moved divisions, but you get the idea. This happens all the time. This is a common thing. There's one guy who's like really, 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 really good. And then there's one guy who's like transcendent. And in any other world, the guy who's really, really, really good would, would be the champion. But he lives in a time when Jose Aldo exists, when John Jones exists, when, you know, you name it or something. Uh-uh. Um, here's a question. I don't know how to answer this one because I, I don't know if there is a ban. Yo, Luke, no, she did an interview with Dariush. Is the ban lifted for dominant fighters? I don't know if they were banned from talking to me. So would love to hear you catch up with Usman Yule if you believe it would be Woodley. Yeah. Um, Dariush hit me up personally, or I think he hit up. No, you know, he hit up a colleague of ours and said, well, talk. so we did. I was happy to talk to him, actually. Um, I don't, I, I get pitched dominance guys on occasion. Um, I don't think there's a band that I'm aware of. Not on, not on me. I mean, they're, I mean, who the fuck knows? There could be, but I don't think so. Um, Oh, Jesus. Someone's asking about Andrew Tate. Jesus. I mean, what is there else to say <laughs> about Andrew Tate? Like, what do I say this exactly? Okay. People have asked me, like, and I'll say this. Most of what, if your experience is like mine, most of what you've seen from Andrew Tate has been... Um, Snippets, right? Something on YouTube or Instagram or wherever you've seen, maybe Twitter at this point, because he he's been reinstated. Um, but all I've ever seen are snippets. And, you know, anybody can look foolish that way, just to be very clear. Like that, that actually is. However, I've yet to encounter an opinion of his that I would deem even moderately intelligent. I mean, we're talking like truly retrograde nonsense. It's, it's not even worth parsing. Right, going through his views, like which ones are good, which ones are bad. Maybe he has good ideas. Again, I'm not a Andrew Tate scholar, and all I've ever really seen are snippets. So, be careful what it is worth. Um, I'll say this: in a well-functioning society, basically, uh, a guy like Andrew Tate doesn't exist. Right, um, in a world where there is meaningful information uh missional in a world where um um uh, people who are because he's talked about like in a world where people trust the expertise um of subject matter experts uh in a world where people can clearly tell the difference between frauds and the genuine article a guy like him can't exist. He, he, he's manifestly absurd, right? Like there's nothing about it. That, um, any kind of true representation of an interesting or otherwise fact-based worldview. The whole thing is nonsensical. The reason why he's got as much cachet as he does is because I think we are living in very uh, difficult times. We are understanding what is genuine and what is not real, irrespective of Tate, is harder and harder about who actually has informational authority, about who to trust, who to listen to, who to be valuable. A guy like that can only build an audience when that relationship between the people and those they rely on is broken, right? And, and when the when you can have, how do I say this? the soil of um, bedrocks of society are, are, are it's if the soil is 
healthy and it can grow and it and it maintains itself right now whatever the stretching of the metaphor might be and out of that you get great things but when the soil is damaged i mean you're going to get weeds as likely as they are um anything else to me i don't i'm not going to go through the list of his views they are manifestly nonsense but i think what you should reflect on is a guy like that getting as much of an audience as he has um kind of tells you that there is a uh, there's a serious problem and one of the things that you know we went through this with with um stock market crash in 2008 i think some people for with covid the pandemic and, and many other situations 9-11 the war in afghanistan um you know there is in certain ways real in certain ways manufactured but many of it being quite real we've talked about on this podcast a million times the people who've been in, in charge of society have failed so many times right um white collar criminals in 2008 never being held uh, going to jail or people who led us into phony wars by telling us that iraq was full of wmds um you know they're all at think tanks here in my hometown or you know on the boards of corporate war profiteers and you can go on down the list there's been so many failures at the elite level of society that any kind of institutional trust or any kind of um you know yeah any kind of trust you're supposed to have in these figures whose job it is to get these things right they've done such a poor job for so long that they've broken they've broken it and uh that's how you get the andrew tates of the world um you know so going through and being like is he right when he says sushi is a womanly thing to order which is one of the videos i've seen it's like men don't order you've got to be really you know something has to be wrong with you to find anything about this convincing but uh you know how does a guy like that get an audience he gets an audience when all the people who are supposed to be doing the job correctly they all fucking jack it up open up and a guy like this gets to have his day all right let's go to some of the paid questions here if there's hardly any it's quite okay you're under no obligation to do it um all right from kashi holma would some weight divisions seem very stalled such as lightweight and welterweight fights appear to be rank camping and fighting fights in these weight class yeah <laughs> yeah yeah they these spots are hard to get and they're hard to hold on to like the rachmanov neil fight um, fell through now maybe they'll find a replacement but dude how many people are signing up to fight rachmanov at all and then be on short notice who the fuck is doing that um i do think some change in fight pay might help but in general like fighters are going to act according to their interests it may not be in their interest to take fights that we want them to take you have to find a way to make it in their interest again here's the opinion by andrew tate I, you know and i by the way one last thing on tate I, I you know i don't know anything about what the Indian authorities what evidence they have or don't like i really couldn't fucking tell you one way or the other like i guess we'll see what happens there so i don't have any comment about that um other than it doesn't look great doesn't look great but you know we shall see we shall see i would strongly encourage everyone to you know just reflect on how fucked up your society has to be where uh a guy with obvious opinions that are and by the way like i don't think tate's a dumb guy necessarily at all as a matter of fact but he's doing a bit you know it may, it may be not in totality but he definitely dials it up and does a bit um you know and the people are like oh these are who definitely as a man never order sushi at a restaurant like okay all right um something has gone wrong here can you share your overall opinion of Fazeev? and do you see him becoming champion in 2023 thanks brother from an 0311 i think extremely highly of him good power very good takedown defense um dynamic in different ranges can be occupied by someone who can really wrestle 
And so I think it's a bit of a weakness. Like he can't weaponize offensive wrestling in that way. Um, but he's probably fighting for a title this year or next. Very talented guy. Very talented. Another question about Tate. He got called out by Greta, got ratioed, and whined about the Matrix when he was arrested because he doxed himself. <laughs> two L's to two days. Actually, that story ended up being false. Did you see that? Everyone reporting that, like, oh, they the Romanian media got him because he posted a video with the pizza box. Now, they knew he was there. It turned out to be not true. Luke, I sent you an email. Hopefully, you can get into it. Thanks for all that you do. Uh, I will respond to the email. I will respond to the email. Thank you for the nation, Robert. I appreciate it. Uh, Takeaways from 2022 mine. Lucky to have some great fights. The Twitter files were an eye opener. Tate is a big grifter than Chick. Um, overall, 2022. That's a hard question to get put on the spot with. Um, Jesus, I have to think about that. Um, dude, I I was talking with BC about this. Like I was talking to so you guys probably saw this where I got um on on one of the MK preview episodes for the holidays. I was like, oh, Alexander Romanov's undefeated, and like he's one to watch. Well, he is one to watch, but he's not undefeated. He in fact had lost to Marcin Tabora. And I told BC like one of the things that really alarmed me about this. I seriously had a moment of panic when I when I realized this. Sometimes I get a factual detail wrong because it's been a while since I've seen the fight and I'm going off of memory and I can't get all the details right about split decision or unanimous. or Sometimes it can be more egregious than that, but you get the idea. Um, dude, Romanov's one I actually looked at ahead of time. His resume, like, double check, you know, and I still fucked it up. And I was like, BC, and I actually, I, I actually asked him about this. Like, dude, how did I get that wrong? Like, how the fuck do you get that wrong, you know? In a good, in a, in a situation where you actually looked at it, you know the the resume, and his belief is that like, um, like we have to like vacuum so much information every day on fight weeks. We have to do like boxing vacuuming of the fight cards that we call that night, and this one card, and then this UFC card, and then this boxing card, and that it just becomes all lost. And one of the things he mentioned was like, he's like, dude, MK feels like it's been around for a year, but we're now in our third. He's right; it feels exactly. Like you know, I uh, I need to get a better due diligence process. Um, so you're asking me like takeaways for 2022. I can't off the top of my head give you anything meaningful. Ricola, thanks, dude. I got some outside the studio. I'll get some here in a minute. After Glover, do you think we will see older guys still winning titles, or will it get harder as the sport evolves? We're seeing older athletes in general. Even in even in sports like soccer, Luka Modric is what 37, 38? You know, and he's still bossing people around. Um, so I do think you're gonna see older, but it's always gonna skew by division. Always. Thanks, Snap King. Thanks, Hurley. Um, fave, least fave, MK moment of twenty twenty two. Least fave is not is thinking Romanov's undefeated. Jesus fuck me. I mean what a Disaster that was. Favorite's got to be showing up late. And now BC roasted the shit out of me. Got to be. Who are positive male figures in a sea of jabronis? Dude, let me just explain something to you. Like, um, listen. I've got an Arnold Schwarzenegger poster here in my office. I've got two of them, as a matter of fact. <clears throat> Although one is a Photoshop, but it's a gift from um, web screen. But I've got Arnold Schwarzenegger, I think, I think in his seventh Olympia, just owning the crowd, you know. So I say that with this. Um, positive male figures in your life don't necessarily need to be guys who went to the gym. They can be. Um, and I do think there's a benefit in going to the gym. I have many positive male figures in my life who make fitness a forward part of their identity. But you don't need to do that to also be uh, or to, to show many wonderful things about the human condition and spirit and otherwise be a positive male figure. There's lots of ways to do that. Yeah. Um, 
You could do that by giving back to your community, people in your community who might be taking leadership roles, people in your church, people in your street, family member, um, an author, um, a scientist. I don't know. You know, I'm just trying to make up somebody here who's done something. Like, I, I've noticed that if you if you search around like social media, everything is a function of like men leading in like wartime kind of, you know, uh, like the Jocko school of thought. Like, dude, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking shit about Jocko. There's nothing wrong with Jocko. And if people get benefit from following him, don't let me get in the way. But that is like the archetype of what like a positive male influence looks like. It's like that can be one version of it. There can be lots of different versions. You have to realize that there's any number of ways to set that example. So it's not like I'm saying like not going to the gym is setting the example. What I'm saying is there are other ways to live your life where you prioritize important, helpful, majorly impactful and meaningful traits about what it means to be a man in society that have nothing to do with what your bench press looks like. So what I would call, what I would encourage you to do is really expand past that. Try and get a sense of the world beyond who goes in and out of the gym and see what you can find. Any advice on how to get fluent in Spanish? Yeah, don't listen to me because I sure as fuck can't, can't do it. In all seriousness, you have to speak with other people. Period. Period. Are we going to release the W. Kamau Bell interview? Yes, soon. I promise. It got put on the back burner because there's so much going on. It will come out. We order honey citrus mint tea from Starbucks. Uh, deal. Happy to. Thank you. Also, Biden student loan forgiveness program heading into the Supreme Court. Guys, I've given this very little thought. Very little thought. I've been lucky that I don't have any student debt. I realize it's a huge problem. We will see if he did it under legal um, grounds or not. You know, I don't really trust the Supreme Court's judgment. I think the political actors, and I think anyone who denies that is just kidding themselves. Um, so I suspect that they'll strike it down on some level, but we shall see. If the version of Canelo that fought Beaval had actually fought uh, Better Beef instead, would Canelo have knocked him out? No. Canelo might have gotten knocked out. Better Beef has a 100% finishing rate as a champion. The only one in box. <laughs> and then Feliz Año Nuevo para ti y tu familia. Gracias, en amado. Um, oh, there's, there's a couple more. Hang on. Thanks for the live chat. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. Oh, that's a nice donation. Thank you, my man. And then I just meant positive role models for life. Well, okay. Um, some of mine have been Marine Corps generals. General Kulak was one for a long time I really liked. I think he was commandant while I was in for a while. James Mattis is another one. That's been one. Um, some of my intellectual heroes have been Robert Nozick, um, John Walls, um, some things he's done anyway, Peter Singer. Um, there's been various professors that I've had that have been great. Um, Uh, you know, I've had friends who really took um, roles in just actually trying to make their community better by volunteering and like consistently volunteering. I take great, I take great um, knowledge and insight from seeing what it looks like to make that a part of your life in a real demonstrable way. Um, you know, I mean, I could go on and on about who I'm reading and how that's had a profound effect on me. Um, but yeah, dig around, dude. Dig around. I find heroes in places that orbit my life. Try to do the same. Try to do the same. But just be very cautious about thinking that like, there's a certain kind of way um, a positive male role model looks. They look all kinds of ways. They look all kinds of ways. I think that's the last thing I'd say. Um, but, you know, also don't get too tied up in certain people. And for people in general, like anybody I named has probably got all kinds of skeletons in the closet, but they might be able to show you certain things about um, character, perseverance, humility, love, uh, strength, courage, 
all of which can inform your judgment about things. Yeah. All right. I went for about an hour. That's about all I got, folks. Uh, back in the new year. Yeah. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for changing your day to help me out. For your understanding, I appreciate it. And thank you one more time. I am lucky to be able to continue to do this podcast year after year. I love it. I love how you keep me on my toes. I love how I'm forced to answer. Sometimes I give you good answers. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes they're useful. Sometimes they're not. But you, you have this back and forth, you and I. And I, I am so grateful for it. I'm so truly grateful for it. It can all be taken away, man. It can all be taken away. So um, thank you guys. I truly, I mean this. I love you guys. It means a lot that I still have, um, you know, um, I'm lucky enough to have an audience like this. And um, I'll see you all in 2023. Hopefully with a better life, uh, better life, <laughs> with a better voice. All right. Appreciate it. Until next time, stay frosty.